Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode number one of Watch Time, your weekly download on everything behind the scenes in gaming, YouTube, all the fun stuff. I, uh, my name is Elliot. I am a YouTuber, goes by the name of Muzok with 8 million subscribers. And Grace. Ooh, casual flex. Um, hey, guys, I'm Grace. I'm one of the directors of Click Management. We're one of the biggest gaming management agencies in the world. We manage a bunch of the big guys you might know on YouTube. Muzelk, Laserbeam, Lachlan, Fresh. Um, all your favourite Fortnite stars. All your faves. And uh, yeah, this is our first episode of Watch Time. So we wanted to create Watch Time as a podcast that was basically a behind-the-scenes look at everything YouTube, gaming, internet, pop culture, a little look at the stuff that you might see on Twitter but not really know the behind-the-scenes of. Pretty much. Yeah. Honestly, just digging into all the, uh, the good stuff that happens, all the things you might hear about but not really understand or just give you all the behind-the-scenes look at what goes on behind the curtain of YouTube. Yeah, yeah. So this is episode one. We're giving it a go. Keen to hear everyone's feedback. We'll go with this as we, as we go each week. Um, but yeah, I think on this week's episode, we want to talk about the stream wars, what's happening. Elliot just announced his YouTube streaming as this episode goes live, which is super exciting. We're going to talk about a few things on the feed that you might have seen this week and then a little bit of a deep dive into flex culture in gaming and YouTube and what that means. Which so I think we have some very differing opinions on. I, I think we do. I think we do. But I don't know what your opinion is. I just know we I disagree. I know. I know. Elliot and I sort of roughly discussed the topics that we wanted to chat about today before the episode and we didn't allow ourselves to go into the detail of what we think because we wanted to leave it for in the moment. So yes. you'll see the real-time reactions of what's going down. Um, but without further ado, let's jump into it and let's talk the stream wars, the epic stream wars. Twitch versus Mixer versus Facebook versus <laughs> Caffeine versus... I feel like there's a new player every week. Honestly, it really does feel like that sometimes, but... One thing is for sure, it came out of nowhere towards the end of 2019 and it has taken the whole gaming world by storm, I feel like. And yeah, super keen to deep dive into it. Obviously, as this episode goes live yesterday, you just announced that you're streaming on YouTube, which is super exciting. Congratulations. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Bag secured. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was behind the scenes, so I knew about it a little bit yep, before, yep. but... <laughs> But I guess it's super interesting to talk about because this is something that I feel like six months or a year, a year ago, no one could have predicted that this would have happened. I feel like Twitch was absolutely the main player in the streaming world. And really, there was no second place. I mean, Mixer was playing around for a little bit. YouTube Live was playing around for a little bit. But in terms of what was really known as the home of streaming, Twitch was without a doubt the top player. Yep. And then what happened? I mean, it seems like everyone was kind of towing around for a little bit. I think Mixer was, you know, really trying to invest in smaller creators and grow the platform organically. Mm -hmm. And then, I don't know, I wonder if it was in their plan all along, if they knew it would reach this point and they just waited because they wanted to build out the infrastructure. But it reached a point where they just gave the biggest streamer in the world, Ninja, a really, 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 really unfathomably big pile of money. And he is now a Mixer streamer, <laughs> which, um, yeah, I mean, obviously getting those big creators onto your platform is, is great because you can have a ton of really, really small, talented streamers. But the reality is that 
people are pretty reluctant to go over to other websites. They Everyone kind of likes having a home. So if all the big streamers are on Twitch, no one's ever going to go and explore the new guys over at Mixer. So yeah. they needed to bring in that huge kind of viewership to really like establish themselves as, no, like it's not just Twitch. Mixer is like an actual thing. We have real streamers too who get yeah. actual views and uh, and like pay attention, which in turn means that you're also going to get more new streamers maybe trying to start out on Mixer instead of Twitch, you know, a really big kind of uh, just injection. And then I think that kicked it off because now you've got, you know, YouTube announcing that they're signing streamers. You've got Facebook pulling people away from Twitch. Twitch lost, I think, was it like five of their top Crazy. eight streamers or something like that? They've, they've lost like a huge number of their big, big guys yeah. to these other platforms. Yeah. And um, yeah, which has been very interesting to watch, especially how Twitch has reacted to being under fire. Oh, man. It's, it's, been, it's been interesting to say the least. And I mean, I think it's so interesting because it happened so out of the blue. Like when Ninja made that announcement or he made that even teaser video teasing his announcement, I feel like no one had any prediction that that was going to happen. People were thinking, oh, it's a big brand deal or an alignment on something. But moving platform, like as a streamer, that is so major that I Biggest don't think thing we'd seen. Right. And I don't think we'd seen anyone on his scale make that kind of move before yeah and now it's become very uh kind of commonplace i feel like it's almost every other week you've got a new streamer being like hey by the way i'm over at facebook (laughs) now or i'm over at youtube big Um, announcement yeah big (laughs) announcement guy now when you see when you see a streamer tweet like i've got a big top secret announcement coming tomorrow you're like you're like yeah mate all right is it mixer or facebook like, which one are we doing you know maybe youtube like you're not streaming on twitch anymore that's all i know i, I mean unless it's the ones where uh you know obviously you had some of the big guys actually do announcement videos that they're not abandoning twitch oh totally and i think that's so fascinating because we were talking about how twitch almost went through like all the stages of grief where at the start they were very much like uh you know, when when Ninja first left, it was a, it was a fierce reaction. You know, they oh my immediately removed his partner status, deleted his page, replaced it with a page saying "Go watch these other streamers instead." They didn't talk about it on Twitter or anything. They just went Wild. dead, and then uh, full denial, full, full denial. denial, and then that obviously backfired in a huge way. Um, and then you know, now, and now you kind of see they, they went through a bit more of a phase where people would start leaving and they'd be like, oh, you know, like, it was good to have you. Like, you yeah. know, th- thanks, for, thanks for being here, Shroud. His Wish little, you well. Yeah, here's a little highlight <laughs> moment of, you know, all the great times you had on the platform. Like, yeah. you know, go have a good time. And then, you know, like the full swing now where it's like, if they manage to retain someone like what they did with uh, Tim Tapman, Dr. Lupo and mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Disrespect, where they're like, oh, yeah, no. Oh, no, sorry, it wasn't, it was... Um, it was, yeah, anyway, World of Warcraft guy. But when those people, they're like, oh, yeah, we're staying on Twitch now. Yeah. And that's like a, you They're know. making announcement videos that they're literally just retaining their streamers, which is semi-amusing. I also love that- Fascinating. I feel like you could tell with those videos, they gave them some talking points because you could see the subtle, like, <laughs> digs in them. That, like, it was like Tim or, or Luke or someone was like, I'm deciding to stay on the biggest live streaming platform- <laughs> which gets the most viewers. And it was just like, <laughs> it was kind of like Twitch being like, remind them, yeah, remind, remind them. Remind them who we are. <laughs> we are relevant. We are big. You're right. It's so, it's definitely fascinating because I think six months ago, 12 months ago for sure, you would never, ever, ever see see videos of Twitch just retaining their larger streamer because it would be like, you know, is the Pope Catholic? Even, like, duh. Like, or even no people, shit, they're staying on Twitch. Even people leaving, like, you know, it's it's interesting because I think everyone's realized that, uh, you know, ultimately, I, I think the, this tug and war is probably going to go on for years yet, you know, even like five, ten years, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think ultimately live streaming is probably, at least in the Western world, going to go the same way that YouTube has, which is like, it, you, don't, you don't see, I mean, you talk about an online VOD platform to post content, it's YouTube. Like, you know that, like, Vimeo and what is it, Daily Motion, those kind of guys, like, they exist, but they're, they're not even 
on the spectrum. No. Because ultimately, people want to know, this is where I go to consume content. Mm-hmm. I go here, this is where I get my content, I'm yeah. good. They want to watch, you know, like a ninja stream and then they want to immediately look in their sidebar and say, oh, Dr. Lupo's on now, I'm going to go watch that guy. Totally. So, and I feel like streaming is going to go that way. And I think that everyone kind of realized all at once, they're like, oh, wow, this train is leaving the station. Like, we need to make moves now or it's going to be too late. And, you know, for Microsoft, I guess they can afford it. And yeah. they probably, and, and obviously the, the plays you're seeing right now in the digital content space across everything, you know, like Netflix, Disney Plus, all that kind of thing. And I, I guess that everyone just sees that online content is where things are going mm-hmm. and they don't want to leave it too late. And when no. you've got people like Amazon and Microsoft battling over it, I mean, the winners are the content creators. Ama- it's amazing. It's Amazon, Microsoft, amazing. and Google. The three gargantuans of the world yeah. are all battling. And then, you know, you've got some of the small guys in there. But right now, it is Amazon with uh, with Twitch. you got Microsoft with Mixer. And you got Google with YouTube. Totally. And it's just they're going at it. It's really, really interesting. And ultimately, you're so right. It's such a win for creators because no matter which way you look at it, obviously the creators that are at the top end of the spectrum and that are signing those deals, it's probably a great win for them and good on them. They've been grinding for years and that's amazing. But also for the more middle-sized and smaller-sized creators, I think it's such a win because previously – And I think you would say in your experience as a creator that the thing that determines what platform you go to is where the most amount of eyeballs are. So if you want to get into streaming previously, I think it would be fair to say that Twitch was known as the largest streaming platform. And so if you wanted to get into streaming, Twitch was the place you had to be. But in that being said, Twitch is such a saturated platform. There are so, so many creators there. It's really hard to stand out and I think that the Twitch algorithm doesn't do a great job at promoting new or smaller creators and allowing them to find an audience, unlike a platform like YouTube, which I think has a great recommended algorithm. But now, if there are larger creators on more varied platforms, it creates such an incredible environment for smaller and more medium-sized creators to go to those platforms and be like, okay, there are a lot of views here now. Like if I was a starting streamer and I was like, all right, Ninja is on Mixer. There are a shitload of Ninja watches that are on this new platform. Like maybe that's a great place for me to go and find an audience. Or, okay, now like three of the biggest Fortnite streamers are on YouTube. If I play Fortnite or if I play a game like Fortnite, maybe that's a great place where I can find an audience that I wouldn't be able to find so easily on a platform that has kind of been old around and is a little bit saturated. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's going to be, I mean, I I think the coolest thing about all the the streaming wars though, I mean, obviously, yeah, like you say, I think it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. I literally don't know yet. I think YouTube's in an incredible spot because I think YouTube just has the advantage that they already dominate the VOD market. Absolutely. Like, and and that's, not even in que- that's not even a question. Dominate. And it's not even like Twitch could be like, oh yeah, we're going to add like a VOD section to our channel because the reality is that as much crap as YouTube gets for like, you know, messing stuff up, they are so far ahead that like you can't catch up. Any, like you can put a live streaming function on your website and that's a lot easier to do than what YouTube's done with monetizing video content, getting their algorithms right. Like, do you know, like back in 2000 and whatever, like how many years there were where the entire suggested sidebar was just like bikini thumbnails? Yeah. Because they, and it took them these 10 years to actually understand how to regulate content, how to build an algorithm why when I'm on YouTube, the suggested video is almost always one where I'm like, you know, I might actually give that a watch, you know? Like, cause they know, they know what you want. And they've spent years developing that. No one can pick that up. Mm-hmm. You can pick up streaming, I, I think a lot easier than you can pick up VOD content. But I think the coolest part about the whole thing is that uh, everyone's been quite cool with uh, people going and becoming so streamers. Cool. Uh, which I think was really like, I was, I mean like good timing. Because, you know, and, and it's interesting because for someone like me, I, it's not like I'm going from YouTube to Vimeo. So I'm not really in that same spot. But I can imagine if I announced that I was packing up shop on YouTube, going to Vimeo, I had a bunch of subscribers be like, what the hell? What the hell? No, yeah. like, what are you doing? Um, but, and, and I thought that there would be a huge negative reaction when you have mm-hmm. like people who have been subscribed to someone's Twitch channel for years and then they go and they just, they head off to 
you know, a different platform. Mm -hmm. You think all the fans be like, oh, what the hell? Like making us move, this is bad. Especially Twitch, which has done a great job of like subs and, you know, that sort of thing. Like I think they've created a culture. Building those communities, yeah. Totally. But, um, but yeah, (laughs) now when someone announces it, it's like, yeah, get that bag. Yeah. Everyone is so supportive. I think it's amazing. And it's something that we'll touch on on a later episode, I'm sure. But just audiences being so supportive of creators doing what's best for their careers and making those active decisions. And I think it's interesting. Obviously, Twitch has gone through a little bit of a tough time the past six months to a year with its public perception and the way that it's treated creators and audiences and terms of service, violations, that sort of thing. And... Yeah, but I think it is absolutely amazing to see how supportive audiences have been of people changing platforms, which from an audience perspective, it's tough. Like, it's so nice to be able to go to one platform and find all of your favourite creators. Like, I can't imagine what it would be like if there was multiple big players in the VOD category and it was like, okay, I go to YouTube to find David Dobrik and... Lachlan and I go to Vimeo to find this person and this person like that would be so annoying but to see that audiences have been so supportive is such a positive reflection of the fact that people I think are looking for improvement in the gaming and or live video space which is which is amazing to see and ultimately such an opportunity for creators yeah and I think that uh the other big thing is just that I mean horrible timing from Twitch but People don't like Twitch anymore. I mean, they don't dislike them. I think it's probably tapered off recently, but... They're a little disillusioned. People are almost barracking against Twitch. Twitch used to be seen, I I think, similar to, like, YouTube, like, very organic Mm -hmm. and very homegrown. I think, obviously, now that, you know, they're part of the big Amazon conglomerate, you know, you lose a little bit of that. And I think that you've really seen that translate. Like, people used to go out and bat to like die for Twitch. You talk mm. bad about Twitch, you talk about leaving Twitch. People be like, no, I'm loyal to this platform. I love this platform. Yeah. These days, I think people, people demand like, more. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess from a creative perspective, what do you think are the main reasons that people are considering other platforms? Like what what makes someone move? Or in Money. your case. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, no, I'm saying like people, like I, because I, I, ultimately I, I think that, Everyone knows that's kind of what it comes down to, you know. Like when when Ninja moves to Mixer, he's like, "Oh, I think this is the platform that'll give me the freedom to, you know, like blah 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 blah." No, mm-hmm. no, no. It's like it's a financial decision because obviously, like now Ninja's on Mixer, he's pulling a quarter, a fifth of the views that he got when he was on Twitch, mm-hmm. and they also haven't built that donation culture as well, or that subculture, or all those other things that Twitch has actually done a really, really good job of. Like ultimately, it it very much comes down to you know, just the financials of it. It's it's work. It's a job. Same reason why if, you know, anyone would move from one job to another job in normal life, it's probably because you got a better offer or you really didn't like it where you were. But also, I think that the creators, at least the creators that I know and work with, have a pretty significant investment in their audience as well. And I think it's yeah. like, you know, you've described it previously as, you know, the the money element or the pay element plays a part, but with an asterisk. And you wouldn't move to a platform that you felt like really wouldn't resonate with your audience or wouldn't serve them well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think ultimately everyone's still invested in that. I I think that, and you know, I think that's why you're seeing actually people move quite liberally now because that infrastructure is kind of being built. Mm -hmm. If you look at what, you know, Mixer and YouTube are doing, it's not too far off Twitch. There are certain functions like clips and everything and building that real, I feel like, you know, Twitch is its own ecosystem. Like you could study that. Yeah. Just like the way that people, you know, something will happen on someone's stream. Everyone immediately spams (laughs) like forehead or something like that. Just the same emote. Everyone just like, yeah, is almost like this conglomerate brain. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Where everyone just knows what to do and they do it together. It's like a hive mind. Crazy. And I don't think the other platforms have that yet. And I'm really, I'm really, really hoping that that kind of develops because I yeah. think that that is the one thing that, you know, you can buy streamers, you can develop, you know, more functionality for your website. But I think that is the one like huge card that Twitch has mm-hmm. that, you know, YouTube and Mixer just, they, they can't just get that overnight. No. Is, is that like Community that culture. Element. 
Yeah, and I think community. as well, if I was someone like, and, and you know, it's different for people, honestly, people like you who haven't come from a streaming background and are now picking it up. But if I was someone like Ninja, I'd be thinking that, gosh, he had such a meteorotic rise to success and reached unfathomable numbers, really, in terms of views, in terms of public knowledge, in terms of really, I, I would fairly give Ninja credit that I think he contributed to Fortnite and gaming as a whole hitting pop culture and hitting the mainstream in a way. And I think for him, you know, he was probably seeing his numbers drop, drip, sorry, I think he was drop. seeing his numbers drop a little bit and was probably thinking that if he could lock in a, you know, two or three or five year deal with a platform that locked him in at a certain earnings potential but allowed him the creativity to maybe not play Fortnite every day, maybe try yeah. some other games. No, that is, yeah, that is, that is true, I think. I mean, I, I know that I think people, obviously, like, YouTube's great. It's, like, so lucky to be able to do it. It's incredible. But I think one of the things that uh, that viewers don't always realise is that, like, the nerves that come with being a content creator where your career can rise and fall on mm -hmm. any day. And when you start to see your like numbers go down and your views drop, it's not like a normal career. You know, you start at like 50K a year, then you get a promotion. Now you're at 60, then you're at 70, then you're at 80. You don't really go down. Mm -hmm. Whereas on YouTube and You're Twitch, getting your report card every day. You're getting your report card every day. And also you, you're like always acutely aware that this is not a continual upwards train like most careers. This is a spike and then a long, long fall. Or like probably you're just like done. That's so depressing. Well, yeah, but, but you know, like the, the, you you kind of accept that when you get into it, right? Like no one wants to watch. The I mean, same I think forever. it can come with peaks and troughs, and I think what you're trying to say is that you yeah. can't take anything for granted. You can't rest on your laurels for a day or a week or a month and assume that it's all going to be fine. Especially yeah. in streaming, you take a month off, you see a significant drop. And you can't and you can't always do what you might want to do. As a content creator, you know, yeah. like a lot of, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people that make Fortnite videos are like, oh, you know, like realistically, I'd love to make like a Gmod video or a Tarkov video or anything like that. But it's just like, no, like you go where the views are. It's mm -hmm. it's not that everyone suddenly decided, every YouTuber didn't suddenly decide that they love Minecraft. As fun as the game is, everyone saw that there was a big viewership trend going that way. And that was why suddenly there were so many people making Minecraft videos. Yeah. Like ultimately when your job is numbers you have to follow the numbers and and i think that yeah the great thing about these kind of like streaming things is that it, it is it is like a really great just baseline it gives you that freedom to like almost like youtube feels like you're constantly like you know just like going and going and going and just really trying to like keep up with the next trend jump onto the next one you're like and you can't take your eye off the ball for a second because if you do you fall behind mm -hmm. another channel overtakes you suddenly you're not relevant anymore you're gone these kind of things, they give you a chance to kind of be like, okay, like I can, I can stop. I can think. I can be like, you know, what do I really want to do? And you can, and you can experiment. And you have that kind of that breathing room that normally you don't get as a content creator. Mm. And I do think, just touching back on the different platforms, I do think in that way YouTube is really uniquely positioned to take on a position of strength here because they have the VOD platform on lock. And if they can make a move to get big streamers there as well, then, I mean, I know for you in terms of your decision-making process with YouTube and that sort of thing, the idea that your audience could find you in one place for everything was really attractive. Yeah, YouTube, YouTube's definitely, I think, in the strongest spot. I mean, they, they just, they have, and I don't think, I mean, for people who aren't content creators, I think it's, you don't really understand the amount of like back end, like what's behind the scenes. Like a video plays, a video plays, you watch a video, but the amount of data and advertising infrastructure that YouTube has behind the scenes is just unlike anything else. Yeah. And I, I think like they, they do have the best position to be like, we are everything. I mean, you can say gaming, but just everything like online, community created content everything from you know videos to gaming live streams to vlogs to whatever but yeah i mean i think youtube definitely is logically the right choice but it is very much you know like as much as i i don't think they're invincible and i think the past few months have definitely shown that uh i also don't know exactly how hard it's well i mean I, how easy it's going to be to 
just become the new live stream platform. Yeah. I definitely expect you're going to see a tug of war. I reckon we'll see maybe like cut down to like three big players in the streaming wars over the next couple of years. And then I think you'll probably go down to about two. And then, but yeah, I, I wouldn't expect the streaming wars to end for the next no. five years at least. But ultimately, as we said before, such a great one. <laughs> but but such a great outcome really for creators oh, yeah. and viewers as well. For creators, it's brilliant. You're seeing platforms really have to put a value on the audiences that those creators command. And for viewers, I think ultimately it should be a great thing. While it might be a little bit frustrating to have to go to a couple different platforms to find your favorite people, Ultimately, it's meaning that the platforms are having to do better than they've ever done before. To keep viewers, to keep creators, they're going to have to produce a product that's best in the market. And ultimately, that's an amazing thing for viewers as well. So who knows what will happen in 2020? I'm absolutely fascinated to see how everything pans out. I'm excited to see how you go streaming. Um, It's going to be fun. exciting. (laughs) But yeah, ultimately an amazing thing and definitely completely unexpected. Exciting times. So now we are jumping into our second segment of the podcast, which we're going to call On The Feed, I think. And basically, working title, let us know what you think. (laughs) Um, But basically, the idea of this segment is to talk about three quick topics that you might have seen on your Twitter feed this week. And the first one we're going to jump into is David Dobrik working with the Beebs for his latest video. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, I think it's cool seeing so many more mainstream celebrities wanting to work more with online people. I mean, mm-hmm. ultimately, you know, like that that was very clearly a thing to promote his song. And you could tell that from like the way that they were singing it and asking people what they thought. And then at the end, obviously directly shouting it out. Um, but, you know, like I think, I think as much as like Justin Bieber is like a person, ultimately like he is a product and he needs to be marketed like especially his well his music is a product and it's marketed like anything else you know you see billboards for when someone releases a new album you think how much you pay for uh you know a tv ad that would get six to ten million views you would pay hundreds of thousands of dollars insane amounts of money so if you can be like hey jump in a car with old mate david and like surprise people for an hour and we literally that's like your marketing campaign to your perfect target audience with insane engagement authentic content i think it's so interesting to see now how many mainstream celebrities are incorporating working with social media people as part of their marketing campaigns now and this was really interesting and i think you could see it was definitely a targeted thing one by what you said in terms of them shouting out like yummy is available now at the end of the video and um, I also saw him, I think he worked with Lele Pons and Shot Studio, that sort of thing, for um, another video that they did together. But yeah, it was really interesting. And obviously, I'm such a Dobrik fan. He's awesome. And it was a brilliant video. It was cl- like classic David style. He did such a good job. But absolutely, I think, you know, it came off as a video that was supernatural in very much in David's style. And I think... It's really interesting because if I was a viewer, I might think, oh, that's so cool that like Justin reached out to David or David reached out to Justin and like they decided to film a video together or whatever. But I think if you're a little bit in the know, you could probably see quite easily that that was definitely like my people will call your people and we will work this out. Yeah, yeah. I think that I I think for me as well, the interesting thing is I always wonder when I see like two like giants come together and do something mm. i'm like did someone pay someone here or is this yep. just like you're big i'm big this is cool because i could totally I won't, be like i won't deny like the first thing i did was open the description and look for a sponsor yeah thing. oh my god every time i see something i'm like i'm like that <laughs> could be an ad but the thing is i feel like david also like not a bad way but he doesn't he, he doesn't really disclose sponsorship as like aggressively as a lot of people do. oh really I feel like he's pretty open about his big sponsors. Oh, no, no, no. I think he's open about it. But I think that, you know, for a lot of people, it's like, you know, you see if you do like an EA sponsored video, right? You're doing Battlefield. It's like opening of the video. This video is sponsored by (laughs) EA. They have paid me money to play this game. Also now watch this watermark for 10 seconds saying this is sponsored (laughs) by EA. Like it is overt. You know, I feel like David's very like, oh, dude, they paid me this money and now we're getting a car, yo. Like he's like funny about it, but it's not as like 
FDA. Yeah. Uh, is it FDA the word? Uh, you know, the mm-hmm. appetite. FTC. FTC. FTC, <laughs> where it's like. Uh, FDA is the federal yeah, drugs. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so many acronyms in America, man. I can't keep track. Um, but yeah, yeah. How, the, how mm. they try and keep that really strict. I didn't necessarily think that someone was paid for that video. I don't know if David was paid for that video but from my impression I wouldn't think it was I think it was definitely like a mutually beneficial thing like if I was David I'd be like shit a chance to film with Jay Babes I'm down like don't ask me twice that's a video but I also think there was probably a little bit in there between um Justin Bieber's team and maybe Dobrik or Dobrik's team being like okay you're gonna get a couple people to sing the song or you're gonna talk about yummy and you're going to put that yummy is available now in an end screen at the end of the video and like a link to download it on millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me that wasn't an option i never really was a salad guy that's just not who i am but noom worked for me Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. On Apple or something. Like, yeah. I think maybe there was a little bit of that. But I do think it's really, really interesting that these traditional celebs, you know, I think social media kind of used to be seen as, like, the little sister or, like, you know, the discount version of celebrity, yeah. whereas now the traditional celebrity industry is really relying on it as a yeah. way to hit their target audiences. 100%, yeah. And I think, um, uh, you know, the one thing that actually makes me think it wasn't sponsored though, because I like immediately, this is like, I feel like when you've when you've done like brand deals, like a few yeah. brand deals and stuff, it just totally <laughs> changes the way you see stuff. I was like, because initially I was like, oh yeah, definitely sponsored. But then he, I was thinking back and I was like, nah, he left in the line of that guy being like, he was like, oh, do you watch Justin Bieber? He was like, yeah, I love Justin. But like that new song of his, Honey, it's not it. Like, yummy. I don't like it. Yummy, honey. I don't <laughs> fucking listen to Justin Bieber, right? It's honey, that's yummy. A good song. It's all the same thing. Yeah, but, but, <laughs> but you know, like that's the kind of thing where I feel like if it was like, I mean, any brand deal I've done, even if you joke, even mm-hmm. if it's overtly a joke about something not being good, they're like, we got yeah. that. I mean, I could also understand his marketing team being a lot more chill. You know, they're not. But yeah, I mean, I think it looks it looks natural, but regardless, like super interesting to see, and 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 I think it's a great sign, yeah. also, like awesome. All right, number two, let's talk about it. Tarkov. Now, I'm not the gamer between Elliot and I. I can talk the talk. I know a lot about gaming now, but Elliot is really the hardcore person here. Talk to me about Tarkov because I feel like two weeks ago, this was a game that I'd literally never heard of. I bought that game two years ago. Really? Yeah. Okay. So then I'm on Twitch a week ago and this guy, Pentley, is that how you say his name? Uh, yeah, Pestily. Pestily? Yeah. Pestily, sorry. He's getting 100K concurrents. What the hell is going on? Yeah, I mean, Tarkov's interesting. Yeah, so Laser, I got it two years ago. It's been alpha for the longest time. And like playing it, because I've obviously loaded it back up again. I'm not good at the game at all, honestly. I suck. But I, I couldn't even tell what's changed in the past two years. I think it's just one of those things where all of a sudden people, I think, you know, the kind of, Fortnite's not as hot as it once was. People are now starting to more aggressively be like, what else can we play? What else is out there? And I think, um, you know, Tarkov's, it's its just, it's weird. I, I almost feel like it can't always be this and it can't continue to go this way. But it's just, it's interesting to me that, um, that it just, it seems like the games industry right now is obsessed with this like a battle royale format of game, which is like, you know, it used to be all like Call of Duty and a whole mix, but then yep. it was, uh, what was the first one? Daisy came out and then, which was, you know, kind of you're on yep. a giant island, not battle royale, but it's that same thing where it's like death is meaningful. You mm-hmm. don't respawn mm-hmm. or like you do, but you lose everything. Um, and, and I think Tarkov is just a really, it, it's interesting seeing that genre be like refined and refined and refined. There was Daisy, which was so slow, so buggy. And then there was, you know, the more like chilled out versions like H1Z1. Then you had PUBG, which kind yeah. of transitioned that. Really transitioned that, it all. Which transitioned, was the first like big real battle royale game. And then you had Fortnite, which refined that down even more. And I think Tarkov is, 
you know, kind of a more refined version of those original like Daisy like games. Cause basically the gameplay cycle is death is incredibly meaningful, but unlike Daisy where you could spend two hours wandering around in a field looting and then just like get shot or find someone eventually after two hours. I think that they've got a really, really good thing in Tarkover. It's like you queue for a game, you instantly know there are enemies in this building. Mm -hmm. I need to fight people. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a, a much more intense and action-packed version of, uh, you know, those kind of like original survival games. And obviously also like how they've then leveraged, you know, they've obviously seen Twitch as, because the rise and fall of games to a point, especially indie games that aren't really like, you know, mainstream, if they're not coming from big publishers, the rise and fall of those games is very largely determined by if content creators pick it up. 100%. And how they I leverage those drops on Twitch to just boost the viewership yep. even higher. Because if you've got, you know, 20,000 people playing your game, that's not much. But if you say, if you go and watch this Twitch streamer, you'll get free in-game items. Yep. Suddenly you're leveraging your 20,000 people to go watch it on Twitch, pushes the game higher. Suddenly you've got 50,000 people yep. who are watching people play this game. They're like, what's this? I love it. Mm -hmm. Then they pile on because they want the in-game items as well because gamers are obsessed with getting anything digital <laughs> that they can get their hands on. And then suddenly you've got 70K and then another, and then you've got 100, and then you've got Pesley pulling 100K viewers. And Crazy. suddenly everyone's like, what's this game? It's come out of nowhere. It will yeah. not last. I don't think it has the staying power to be any, and I think anyone who thinks it's going to be like the next Fortnite or something is choking themselves. But- it is a very good game. And I think and it's, it's interesting to see how games now really understand the importance of having streamers and YouTubers create content about their game. Yeah. And I think it was it was pretty apparent because obviously Pesley was getting like a hundred K concurrence and then as soon as they weren't doing the drops anymore, it dropped to like two point five K which is a significant drop. It shows that they clearly had a mechanism in game that was leading to that. But Really, really interesting. I think. I mean, I think like we'll talk about it in a future episode. But Fortnite did an incredible job creating a game that was really designed for content creators, and it's really interesting to see how new games are approaching that challenge and mm. saying like, how can we get people creating content about our game to create a buzz? Yeah. And I think like credit to them. Maybe they're not the next Fortnite, but they did a really good job creating a buzz for a period of time. Hundred percent, especially for. A, I mean, it's not like an indie game, but a very, but for a small studio game, it's insane success. Yeah. Okay. Story number three. Uh, Ninja released his shoe oh, with yes. Adidas. What did you think of the design? Mm, anything. I actually liked it. I, I thought the design was cool. Minus the fact that it had ninja on it, I actually, I actually thought that it had like kind of a unique look to it. I didn't, I didn't dislike it, especially if you were like, oh, a gamer is making a shoe. I'd be mm. like, oh my god, keep that away from me. I think, I think they actually, <laughs> considering the color scheme they had to work with, they had to go with those blues and those yellows, the yep. ninja branding. Yeah, I think that the actual overall what they came out with was pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I not my taste, but yeah, not your taste, but like, I, if you were to take the giant ninja text off it. I I think it was really, really cool. I like, you know, same with, you know, I wouldn't want to really buy anyone's merch that is just like a giant, like, Uzelk right mm. across the middle of it. I think that the interesting thing, what's been really good about how creator merch has transitioned recently is how it's becoming increasingly more, I don't know if subtle is the right word, but it is, you know, you can wear it now and it's actually, like, fashionable. It's yeah. not just, like this is the channel and I have his merch just blazed right across the middle. Yeah, I think that's a good point, actually. I think it's like an interesting representation of what that creator stands for rather than just blasting that person's name across something. Yeah. I mean, I think it was cool. Like I saw a couple of the tweets that Ninja did sort of taking the piss and you were telling me about that tweet before about that guy that like, through them yeah he like he bought the shoes just to post a video on twitter of him like throwing them across the room yeah. and then ninja just subtweeted it was like cheers for the one fitty bro <laughs> just like oh savage i love think it. people like to see it though like i genuinely think people like to see ninja being a bit more real a little bit more sarcastic taking the piss out of himself yeah. and you know knowing his strengths and weaknesses i think ninja obviously i, I don't know i feel like we could talk about that as a whole thing but he was obviously He's a gotten super better unique, at dealing with people. Super unique creator. And I think, you know, credit to him. He's in a, been in a tough spot where he's had more public recognition than I think really anyone ever. 
And I think it's been really nice to see his personality come out a little bit more recently and him take the piss out of himself and, yeah, not feel the need to be so PC all the time. Yeah, and I, I think he's yeah he's he's found that good balance between his old personality and the, like, G-rated kind yeah. of toned down ninja where, it, you know, he, he's getting better. I think he... he Initially, when he became like such an attacked person, like anyone would, I he became really defensive, which you know obviously leads to lashing out, which obviously leads to people just not liking you more. Mm-hmm. And I think he's kind of learnt that there are dumb people out there who are going to hate on you just because you're doing good. Yeah, and to just own it, you know, just like have a laugh at him. Yeah, yeah, it's a good way to go. Okay, into our final topic of our first episode: exciting times. Ooh. We're going to talk about flex culture in gaming and why every gamer I see... what I was wearing. <laughs> it's a $40 shirt, by the way. <laughs> no off-white on me today. But but seriously, like, why are all these gamers wearing off-white? Why are they wearing Valentino? Why are they decked out in, like, really branded Louis Vuitton, like, every event they go to? I don't know. I think it's something interesting to talk about. Don't get out of the house much, man. You got to like put your best foot forward when you when you finally step into the outside <laughs> world. I mean, I, I think it's um, I I think I I I go very basic. I think there are other small factors at play, but for me, I, it's just like I think you got a bunch of twenty year olds who have more money than they know what to do with because that's what content creation is. It's a big you know, money spike and then an endless pit of despair when your career dies. Oh. But, you know, that's why, but in the same way that you, which I guess also folds into flex culture, is that most young people, if they do get money, don't really deal with it in the right way. Mm. Or, you know, also you can buy a nice shirt if you have disposable income. And I think ultimately it's just that it's reflective of people, you know, when you're young and when you sit inside all day and you play video games, like what, what are you going to spend money on? You're not like really going on crazy holidays because you're a content creator. You can't go on a holiday if you leave the office for mm. a day, you, your career, you know. So I feel mm. like I'm getting to the real like career exploding kind of topics. But, you know, it's like it, that's just an easy thing to kind of have as like a little bit of a treat yourself. See, you know? I disagree. I think it goes a little deeper than that. Narcissism. So. <laughs> no, but I think it's really interesting because where I see at least part of it stemming from is – I think back in the day and back in the day when a lot of these massive content creators that have found huge success, you know, back when they were in high school or junior school, whatever, gaming was not cool. Like it wasn't considered the cool thing to do. I think it was considered like kind of a nerdy thing to do, kind of something that you wouldn't like outwardly tell all your friends that you were into. It wasn't cool. And I think it's kind of a pushback on this perception that like oh like you're a gamer you know what I mean and now a lot of these people have found incredible success incredible followings incredible income from this industry that now they can afford really expensive brands they can afford to wear designer every day they can afford to have cool cars and that sort of thing and I actually think you to the society that I do think it's a little bit of a fuck you to the society I think it's a little bit of a pushback and it's a little bit of like a look at me now kind of thing where you know it's like yeah I wasn't cool in high school but look at what my nerdy hobby has now allowed me to do and it's a really physical representation of the I don't know if you want to call it status but something like that that this industry has now allowed them to have. The old childhood trauma route is the one you're going with. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I think it's, I, I mean, speaking for me personally, it's it's not at all a an, an F you to anyone if I, if I, if I, if I, if I do wear something <laughs> nice. I think it's, um, I, I think it's symptomatic of a few things. I think it's number one, you know, you're kind of, when you're, you know, you're in the spotlight, so like there's always people looking at you and because there are always people looking at you, I think there's more of a drive to appear, um, you know, good yeah. as opposed to just wearing whatever. Um, but that also doesn't explain the number of people who just wear absolutely horrible <laughs> things. Yeah, um, yeah I, I think that it's interesting. I, I definitely know that at least like early on, I d- obviously I don't really have that these days. I just kind of 
software, whatever. But I, I know that early on when you, when I was like in that come up stage of, mm. and I feel like this doesn't really answer the question, but I do remember going to events when I was in that like come up stage and I was like at an event and I had like three, 400,000 subs. And there were these like two, five, 10 million subscriber channels there. And there is like a desire to impress. And I almost feel like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy or whatever, mm. you know, it's, it's a bit of a cycle though, where, you know, the up and comers see the big guys wearing the really nice stuff and they want to fit in with the groups, then they go and get it. And then, you know, and then the next guys, they see them wearing the good stuff. And then it just, it keeps on going in circles. See, I think there actually is kind of a legitimizing element to it though. I think, you know, a lot of people when they start YouTube or they start gaming as a full-time career and that sort of thing, you know, People that aren't in that industry don't necessarily understand how big it is. They don't understand necessarily that it really can be a real job. And I think that wearing nice brands or having a cool car or having a big house or whatever is a way to, without saying it, be like, no, look, this is a real job because I can afford a $4,000 jacket. Yeah. You know what else? I d this, this thought just came to me just when you were talking about the car and the house stuff mm. is that because YouTube is so, this is kind of taking a couple of steps back, but but stay with me here. Um, <laughs> because YouTube's so like analytic data driven, right? It's yeah. about subscribers. It's about views. You can look at any other channel at any time and say that, you know, like Matt, like you can actually, no, well you, no, sorry, not even estimating wealth, but I'm saying that like, like success, yeah. you can, you, you know, if, if you're doing a management job and someone else is doing a management job and you're both in the same level, you can be like, we are both managers, like we're doing our job, that's it. Mm -hmm. But in YouTube, you can look at another YouTube and you can be like, I am factually, mathematically better than you. I am getting more views. I have more sub, but oh. I mean like in terms of how you're going at your job, yeah. you know? And, and I think that no one really, I think, yeah, and it's and it's not. It's not malicious. It's not at all malicious competition, but there is competition. And anyone and I guarantee every every other channel has someone where they're looking at and they're like, Man, like I'm annoyed that that person's doing better than me right now. Like I wanna beat them, I wanna get bigger than them. And I think there's it, YouTube just in the sense that you know, uh, you, you can never say to an individual person, I'm competing for your views because obviously the ecosystem is so big, but you yeah. are competing for views. Channels rise, another channel falls because ultimately people only have so many hours in a day, they pick who they want to watch. Yeah. And I feel like it, it is almost that competition element in a way coming out. Like when you go to an event, everyone wants to be the best. They want to look the best. They want to, you know, be the coolest. They want to, mm you know, be like, oh, how'd you get here? I got here on my jet. Or like, you know, how'd you get here? Oh, Uber Black, oh, Uber Black, yeah. like my driver took me. You know, it's like, it, it's kind of an extension, I feel like sometimes of that. And, and this could be way too much reading into it, but uh, I, I think it's an interesting conclusion to draw and probably the only one I can say that I, I don't think it's the full driving factor, like the full cause, but I think it could be a factor. Yeah. Is it's that competition that comes from being a YouTuber competing with other channels, seeing their views, wanting to do better, wanting to be the best. And it's, and I think that leads to then wanting to like have that flex when you see people in public. Mm. Like for me personally, if there is one time where I actually want to make sure I'm like dressed nicely, it's when I am at a YouTuber event. So it's actually not so much about giving an FU to society. I actually like, I'll walk around the shops in tracks, track, track pants and like a shirt that I haven't washed in three days. Like I, I don't, I, I know. you know, yeah, I know. Right. But, but, that's the, but you'll never see me do that if I'm at a YouTube event. Yeah. Because that's where I'm like, where you're like, okay, this is like, that's interesting. Everyone's, everyone's well-dressed there. Yeah. I think that's interesting because I do think that it's not impossible, but I really think that to be a very successful creator, there is an, element of narcissism that is somewhat necessary like or I at think, least competition right and I think you well I think you need to be able to look at yourself and be like I'm capable of being the best I'm capable of having a lot of people want to be invested in what I'm doing and interested in the content that I'm creating or the way that I am or how I look that sort of thing and so I think that that does play into it a little bit but I don't know. I also really, really think that I see sometimes in people around me that there are people that have been bullied when they were in high school or there are people that got a really tough time when they first started doing YouTube. 
and being able to wear nice clothes, being able to have nice things is is an element of being able to say, I made it, you know? The thing is, I, I think that that's absolutely, that would be a factor for me, but I need to like, it would need to be this specific person, you know? Like you guarantee mm. if I go back to a school reunion and I see, you know, like Sean Koo or one of the people who was like a dick Ooh. to me when I was in boarding school. like Sean Koo? Uh, he's got a billionaire dad. He's going to be flexing anyway. <laughs> it doesn't even matter. But, um, but, but you know, like I, I think that, yeah, th- there is that element of wanting to be like, yeah, like, you know, it did, like you did do okay. And yeah. I, and I think that. Um, but when people are like, when you, when you tell some people that you do YouTube as a full-time job or you do gaming as a YouTube, uh, as a full-time job, is there not some element of you that wants people to know that, yeah, not only can you support yourself, but you can actually do really oh, well? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, and it's always, like, I think the funniest thing is, you know, also, like, if, like, you know, if it's, like, an Uber driver, you having a conversation with, like, what do you do? And you decide to not make up the lie about being a tax accountant so that they go away. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, like a hundred percent. Like sometimes it'd be like, it'd be like, what do you do? It'd like, oh, I, I like make videos on games, and they'd be like, oh, and can you like, does that like, can you almost do that full time? Like, does that make like, you <laughs> know, you enough to live? That? Like, like, does it make minimum wage? And mm-hmm. you're like, yeah, it does. It does all right. You do okay from it. You know, yeah. like you got Ryan toy reviews out here. Eight year old, hundred oh million. But um, pre copper, pre copper, yeah, pre copper, <laughs> not new. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, hundred percent. It's it's su- it's super. Uh, that that was a good. That was that topic ended up being much deeper and also more introspective. I feel like I learned something about myself there. Mm. I really, I I didn't realize the the deep trauma. I'd be interested to hear what other people think about that. Yeah, sure. I was gonna say leave it in the comment section down. Actually, we are posting this on YouTube, aren't we? We're gonna post it on YouTube, and we've also got a Facebook community page at Watch Time Podcast. So you can chat about the episode, talk about things you might want us to talk about on future episodes there as well. Do um do, do, do podcast things on Spotify have comment sections? I don't. I don't they do not. I don't podcast. So, so you can't I mean, I comment podcast, on Spotify. <laughs> okay. So don't, don't leave your comments on Spotify. That will not work. Uh, <laughs> but Facebook and YouTube are the places. All right. We're jumping into the last part of today's podcast, which is where each of us are going to ask each other uh audience submitted questions so each week you guys have the opportunity to ask us questions that you'd be interested in knowing i'm going to ask elliot a question and elliot's going to ask me a question who wants to go first you okay so i tweeted earlier tonight on twitter which is where you tweet it's good to know you work in this industry (laughs) I actually got such a bunch of good questions and I feel like I want to come back to this and um, you only get one choose wisely chat about it so I am going to ask you this is a good one okay when you upload a video before you upload it do you think about how it will make money or if it will make a good amount of money or is that not something that you consider when you upload a video? I can say this, or and you know, obviously I'm, I'm lucky in the sense that I've never, my channel isn't like Lannan where I'm getting demonetized, getting really bad CPMs. But for Ouch. me, but <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. Well, no, but like I'm saying for Lannan, I can understand it being something that where it, it's like a, it's a stress point for him. Mm-hmm. But for me, I literally, I can honestly say I have, I've never really thought about like what, how much money an individual video will make. Like I would say I would check the revenue on videos like once or twice a year when it's like I would push back on that though. Think about things like, do you care if a video is more than 10 minutes long? No, but see, the only reason I care about that is because of how it can impact views. I, I So for me, if someone were to say, do you want to get triple the sub growth off this video and make no money? Or do you want to get like no subs and- and make like so maybe explain money. to people that might not understand why that 10 minute marker is important 
Well, so, I mean, I, I actually don't think it is as important anymore, but I feel like people have been kind of nervous to test it out. There was basically a point on YouTube where if your video was not 10 minutes long, YouTube would just not suggest it. It would just, it was like, this is a short video. And We're you not can't gonna, place mid-rolls. Yeah, and you can't place mid-rolls, which is still a thing. So these days, video has to be 10 minutes to put mid-rolls on. Which does mean it makes a lot more money than if you upload a video not, that's not, a not 10 more, minutes. but more. Yeah, I'd say that mid-rolls probably, you know, might add an extra like 50% on top of the revenue, you know? So it's not like, yeah, but it's not like if I put five mid-rolls, I'm making five times as much mm-hmm. money. It's like if it was going to make $1,000, it might make $1,400 instead. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like multiplier. Um, but yeah, I, I think that I th- honestly for me, no, I don't, I don't. And I'm, I'm lucky I can say that I, and obviously that's probably more symptomatic of the fact that my monetization has always just been good. I don't need it to be a stress point for me. The focus is all like, I will never check a video's revenue, but I always check the real times and the sub counts. Yeah. Like, which obviously is in itself, I guess, indicative of what a video is going to make. Mm. But no, I, and and obviously like it, it's always something you have to be conscious of. Like there's a reason that people don't swear all the time in their videos. It's because yeah. they know it would impact monetization. Um, but for me, because I've never really had monetization issues. No, I don't think about it. I mean, I think for you, it's interesting because generally, and for people at home that might not know, but yeah, audience growth and monetization oftentimes go hand in hand. And I think- for someone like you, you do care a lot about things like what you're making a video on. Like you wouldn't go and make a video, you wouldn't go make a cooking video. You wouldn't go make a video about you, I don't know, going to dinner or something because you know that's not something that would resonate with your audience. It wouldn't get very many views. It wouldn't lead to very much sub growth. Therefore, it wouldn't lead to very much monetization because it's not getting the views. So I do think you care quite a bit in terms of you don't really swear on your videos. You're quite considerate about what you make a video on in terms of will that resonate with my audience? Will a lot of people want to watch it? But in terms of you thinking, and and I think you don't upload videos that are less than 10 minutes long because you want to make the most of that. But in terms of being concerned about things like, am I being super vulgar? Am I concerned about I don't know. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of hard to distinguish because views and monetization oftentimes go really hand in hand. So yeah. you obviously want great views because you want to reach a large amount of people, yeah. but also reaching a large amount I want of people to be better than everyone. And, and that means that that's obviously how you earn an income as well. Yeah, hundred percent. All right, are you ready for your incredible Am question? I? I don't know. My, mine's <laughs> like basic, but also could not be basic. Okay. What is the favorite part about your job? Ooh. I saw that one and I was like, I like that. It's it's open-ended yet deep. Favorite part about my job? Hmm. I think it's a kind of a cop-out to say that there's a few favorite parts. Yes. Pick one. Well, no more. I love that we are in an industry that is moving really rapidly and there is such an opportunity for young people to succeed. I think it is not an industry where I ever feel stuck or feel like, oh gosh, I'm in a rut because there is constantly opportunity to be doing more and succeeding and your age or your level of experience isn't necessarily tied to your ability to succeed in the industry. Like I think it's amazing. Like I'll be real, three years ago, I didn't know that much about gaming. I'd watched YouTube a lot. I knew a lot about YouTube, but in terms of actually having worked in the industry, I was pretty new to it three years ago. And I think the opportunities that I've had, and I think, you know, I've been a good example for myself, that if you come into it and you have a real hunger for growth and a willingness to learn and a willingness to like just go for it, you really can find a lot of success and growth. And I still see that with so many of the people that we employ at Click now. You know, like we employed like Lucas, a 19-year-old who's one of our video editors at the moment. And he literally finished high school last year and he's killing it because he'll say yes to any opportunity he gets. He's hungry for it. And then when you become that kind of person where you're just reliable and people know that you'll do a good job and know that they can count on you, then 
those opportunities are there. And so I think in YouTube and gaming, people don't necessarily care how long you've been in the industry. They care about what kind of person you are, what kind of attitude you have, your work ethic. And if you've got those things, I really, really believe that anything is possible. And I don't know. I think that's what I, that's what I like. I'm also very blessed. I get to work with some of the best creators in the world. I genuinely believe that. Shocks. And, you know, it's, it's incredibly motivating. I don't know. I feel like I added in a few things there, but that would definitely be my favorite part. That was an easy question. It's easy to talk about the favorite things. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that is pretty much a wrap on our first episode of Watch Time. Woohoo! Exciting times. Um, yeah, as Elliot said earlier, rate and review. Give us a rate on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Don't know what that is, but do it. <laughs> review it. Watch it on YouTube. Sub- Follow us on the Facebook community page. I think we're calling it Watch Time Podcast. You can talk to us there. You can ask us questions for the next episode or suggest us topics that you want us to talk about. And super excited. I feel like this year is going to be really exciting. And many fun things to come. Many fun things to come. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening to our first episode. We will see you next week and every week after that. And yeah, catch up. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.